welcome to the Creative Coding Podcast. Ian, this week, Seb's not here. He's, um... I am here. I'm what? here. I'm, what? What's I'm going on? I'm not sick anymore. Oh. What? We're never on the same show together. That's weird. I know. It's been ages, isn't it? Yeah, it has been a long time. Yeah. It feels like I've got loads of stuff to tell you. So that's good, I suppose, good. isn't it? That means we have... Have we've got we a podcast content. yeah a podcast yeah that's what we call it I'm trying to remember the name it was horrible though that illness has it been near where you are as well i mean it's just been knocking people out all over the place around here yeah, like spring flu yeah and it's like I, I was just totally knocked out for two weeks and then two more weeks of just coughing all the time it's just i'm still i've still yeah. got a tiny bit to be of honest, that's exactly what i've had as well really yeah it's been absolutely horrible and I've still got a, like a tickly cough and a sore throat. It's not very nice. Yes. So um, we should do the formal stuff. You can get us on Twitter, cc underscore pod on the internet, ccpod.co. And please, please support us on Patreon. We've got a nice trickle of supporters coming through, actually. It's it's nice. We're getting like one a day or, or so. But we could still do with some more. So check us out on patreon.com forward slash creative coding. Yeah, I mean, where where are we up to now? We're up to like $70 per month or something. Wow. Where we'd I, like to get to is more than that, basically, yeah. because the show ultimately <laughs> is still costing us money rather than being something that either breaks even or or like, well, pr- profits probably a long <laughs> years off at this point. Way, I don't think we've paid for our microphones yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> so... So that'd be nice. That would be a nice goal to, to actually yeah. have paid for our microphones. But our, our next goal is the the minimum wage goal. We're um, we're over 25% of the way there, I think. Or exactly would, 25% yeah. of the way. That'd be good. So if you like the show and you want it to keep going, just, yeah, and chip also, in a couple of bucks if you can. Also, leave us a review. For, um, for some reason, on iTunes... We're missing an episode at the moment. Your your episode about um, the oh who was it you met oh Adam Saltzman wasn't it? Is it not showing up on iTunes? Oh, it's no, it is. ITunes. I've seen it. I've seen it on there. Really? iTunes has disappeared iTunes. this week. Oh, weird. So if you, oh, if, iTunes is sometimes one behind. No, it's no, it's, it's got Raquel Velez, but oh, it doesn't weird. have Adam. Yeah, Saltzman. but that's that means that you've done something in the meta tags or something that's wrong. Maybe, but. Um, it's all right in, in, I've looked at the feed and it looks, anyway, we don't need to, we don't need to share <laughs> our technical issues, but if, if it's missing and you can either listen to it on our website or, uh, or our usual, you know, there is an ordinary podcast feed or you can search, just search, right? Just search for creative coding. Yeah. In there's the also, podcast um, app there's another podcast choice. app that I've forgotten the name of it now, but it, it's got loads of advanced features. It'll do things like trim the I shouldn't have mentioned this without and then forgotten the name it's but it will not do things, Overcast is it? what's it called? Overcast, Overcast? Yes. yeah yeah and yeah, that's got really some good. really cool features like it will automatically trim out get silences and things like that <laughs> I mean we do a bit of that anyway sometimes but um, there are no awkward silences in this show <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> but it's, it's good if you have like some wafflers and you really just want to get through the stuff more quickly it's yeah. great so, but yes, we, please, you can find um, us on there as well. Uh, but yeah, please leave us a, a review and um, and and rate us as well. Well, assuming if you like, I mean, if you really hate us, just keep it to yourself, maybe. 
um, but if if you yeah. know if you're into have, it, have you heard of that? Um, there was a really famous bit of social engineering on uh, on I think it was on Dungeon Keeper mobile game, and basically what they did was they put up this pop up and goes rate our game. How would you rate it? Uh, one for four stars or five stars? If you click one to four stars, you get a thing that says okay keep playing or like let us know like how you feel with this contact email right and if you click five stars it takes you to the rate app wow api to actually so that then you then go and click five stars so it basically filters out anyone who would have given you less than five stars that's pretty clever that is quite clever isn't it's it? it's a bit devious but then i guess it also is indicative of how important it is to get five stars on apps oh it's so important yeah and you know. if you what's crazy on iTunes is I'm not saying it's necessarily bad or good it's just something to bear in mind is if you upload a new version it clears all your ratings so they yeah. get moved to a different thing that's called uh, previous versions and then you're back yeah. to having no reviews and no stars which can be really bad that can kill your app so it's like you have to be so careful um, about when to do new versions and stuff and make sure that you're going to replace all of the all of the stars you had and stuff. Mm. Oh, we've we've got a new review on iTunes. Did you see it? Is that the one that says I like, say like too much? Well, it says uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, we said like over two hundred times in one episode. This particular user <laughs> enjoys the podcast, gave it four stars, but does not enjoy the unnecessary use of the word like. The thing is, Which for me, it is See, necessary. I don't like anything, so I never say it. So, oh, yeah. Um, no, I'm not saying I really like... Uh, I really like Doctor Who like and I really and I like, like Star Wars. I like cats and yeah. I like sweets <laughs> I like- and I like telly. <laughs> it's, no, it's, so, the, it's the it's new version going, of um, isn't it? Yeah. Or, or right. I yeah. mean, I used to say right. <laughs> right. So... Yeah, so, so I'm like, really There's sorry. a lot of so likes... But the thing is, they are—they have a purpose, which is that they give me time to actually think of what I was going to say next without someone else cutting into me. Because <laughs> if you leave a little gap, so you people are right in there and they will just cut into what you're saying. Yeah, you're just like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, don't talk. <laughs> you, could just, you could just leave a, a gap and let Overcast delete it. <laughs> no, but like, if you're doing, if you're talking to someone else... And you've got something to say, but if you yeah. leave a little pause, people will be right in with their, the thing that they want to say. So it's then true. you don't Especially get to get a word me. in, a word in edgeways. Yeah, that that tends to happen. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, but I mean, it, it's funny because, like, when if you look at um, you know advice for public speaking and things like that, they always advise you to not use these things. Leave yeah. lots of pauses. Be clear and concise. Think mm. about each word. Don't use unnecessary words and be commanding like that. But if you try and do that in a conversation with someone else, they'll just interrupt you because they'll be like, <laughs> oh, he stopped speaking. I'm just going to interject with the thing yes. I want to say. Yeah, but then also like the modern use of the word like is when you're saying that's, it's, it's, it's like a replacement for they said, you know, like you just said it. Well, in fact, I just did it just now. It's, it's funny. It just How gets do slipped in, doesn't it? It's What's... an all-purpose word. But you were like, you were like, oh, I, you know, I just did it just then, right? Did you? 
Yeah, because I said you were like, hi, I'm Ian or whatever. It's like, it's the same as Ian says. Oh, I see what you mean. You can say, yes, you can use it to to, paraf- to basically paraphrase someone. Yeah. Right? You can say yeah. like and then give the gist of what someone was saying. Yeah. But I've, I, let's listen out for it today. But I do apologise <laughs> to um, Mr. or Ms. AMK221. We will Thanks. try... Thanks for the review, though. We Thanks will for the take feedback, it. Yeah. We'll, yeah, absolutely. And actually, I, I have no idea what I say on the podcast. So anything like that, <laughs> it's all it's all good notes. Anyway, yeah, we're I mean, do I s- know I do it. It's it's a massive point of shame. Oh, we've oh. all got our, we've all got our issues, <laughs> don't we? Um, we we're going to cover some news today. There's been lots oh, of news. We're going to give the shout outs to our our generous. Oh, we'll do that later. We'll do that oh, at no, the end, just can't do we? It now. Let's just do it. Yeah, so if you support us with a $5 at the $5 level on Patreon, then you get the exclusive reward of having your name uh, and a personal thank you from us on the show. And I'm very pleased to say we have eight $5 supporters. So thank you very much to Michael Hazani. Adam Butler. Oh, it's in a different order. Sam HS. <laughs> it's not work then, is it? You just do it in your order. I'll do it. Michael Hazani, Sam HS, Bradley Manderscheide. Brad, Brad Manderscheide, he's been supporting us from the beginning, hasn't he? Yeah, OG. Amazing. Lorenzo Pirandini, James Med, Chris Spurgeon, Adam Butler and Dan Het. Thank you so much. And if you want your name uh, awkwardly read out and probably mispronounced on the show, then go to patreon.com forward slash creative coding, the $5 level. And you can also and choose you. to, you can also choose to not take your reward if you actually don't want to have your name on the show. Yeah. In which I noticed a few people have. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame them. <laughs> I don't blame them either. Um, but anyway, thank you. Thank you to all our supporters. We really, really do appreciate it. It's very kind. Yeah, it is. So new stuff. Um, yeah, do you want to go first? Yeah, there's quite a bit of news actually. It's going um, to be more on your end because even though we've just had GDC and we've had Build, and both of those should be more my end, there wasn't really that much reportable news from them, but we'll come to that. No? Okay, cool. So, I guess big news uh, while we've been away, well, there's been a couple of launches. The new Raspberry Pi 3 has come out. It's uh, right. a 1.2 gigahertz, 64 bits. Processor. How many cores? Quad core. Okay. I think that I think the Raspberry Pi two had was quad core as well, but I think that was thirty two bit. So it's actually they reckon it's like oh what did I I saw something today. If you um, go up, if you go up, from it's faster. 30, put it that way. If you go up from thirty two to sixty four bit, is that effectively doubling something? Or because <laughs> I remember the, the the only thing I know about yeah, it's, thir- it's doubling the number. <laughs> Now, so, the Atari Jaguar was 64-bit. Now, is it more powerful than that? <laughs> um, I guess this is also like the clock speed and the... Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I should know. We need a computer science expert. I dropped out of my computer science. Degree. Do you know what that would be? To someone to just come on and explain what the difference between <laughs> 8-bit, 16-bit... Because I know, I know like how much data you can store in 8 bits, 16 bits, etc. Yeah. But in terms absolutely. of what it means in terms of like an operating system or a chipset. Yeah. I'm fuzzier on. I know I remember there was something about addressing memory where yeah. it, on 32 bit apps you could only go up to a certain amount of memory. Mm. I think And um, also isn't there something like word length which is the amount of 
data that the processor can process in a single stone. Listen to us. We don't know. It's embarrassing. <laughs> we should just give up. Yeah. It's pathetic. <laughs> but it's it's far it's it's like it's twice as good, right? Now, I do remember Eben Upton <laughs> saying something like that the operating system was still 32-bit. He said it run as a faster 32-bit operating system rather than full 64-bit. And the reason for that was uh, backwards compatibility. Yeah. And I have to say, the, my experience, you know, I've been working with Raspberry Pis a lot recently. And my experience has been the interchangeability of the... Uh, the operating system, you know, the SD cards between all the different Pis has right. been pretty much seamless. Oh, that's I don't good. think I've had any issues. And it's great if you're setting up a Raspberry Pi Zero, right? Because mm-hmm. they've got <laughs> they've got nothing, right? It's really hard to yeah. connect one to the internet. So you can actually just set it up on a, a Raspberry Pi B plus and connect it through the Ethernet and set up the SD card and then just stick it in the Pi Zero. I had a thought actually about Raspberry Pis and yeah. which is just that they're quite they're not that fast the older mm. ones and yeah. people are using them as their first experience of coding a lot yeah so people are like using scratch for Raspberry Pi and it's like you're sort of getting a suboptimal experience if you're just using it to write some python or do some scratch because yeah because it's not a fast computer you would have much more fun on like the cheapest laptop you can buy because it would be way more responsive. Do you think? I I sort of think it would be equivalent to the cheapest laptop you could buy. But I think the value in a Raspberry Pi comes from the fact that you own it, right? That's um that's the real value that as as a, a you know, a very young person, you know, yeah. 10 or 11, you'd have your parent would have no qualms in just giving you one, right? No. They're like 20 yeah. quid it's like if you break it, it doesn't matter. But you're not really going to give him a laptop, are you? With all that stuff. And actually, well, yeah, but something main... that something that I find a bit sad is that there's not more of a culture of like recycling old computers by giving them to kids, because yeah. people literally get like tower computers or old laptops and just put them in the bin. Yeah, that's, and, it's, and it's, it's like, true. The, but things that are much more powerful than a Raspberry Pi regularly mm. just get trashed. In this country, well, I know it, I mean, it doesn't happen in um, other parts of the world where they, they would actually get reused. But yeah, well, the other—I mean, there's there's a couple there's a couple of really important things that make the Raspberry Pi really important and essential. Um, mm-hmm. So first of all, it's it's how cheap they are. You know, you could easily give them away to kids without even thinking about it. The second one is that they're you know, there's such a big community around it. They're so, you know, they're successful because they're popular. Yeah. And there are so many resources for learning specifically on the Raspberry Pi. I mean, yeah. I I'm, I really like that it's a Linux computer. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's probably, I mean, I, I, Linux has always been quite niche, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, and this has made it mainstream or at least mainstream for the next generation of coders. Yeah, and and I think that's that's really positive thing for Linux. Yeah, I mean that's going to have a knock on effect in in say ten and twenty years, isn't it? Because there's oh, going to so be much. all these people who who are comfortable with Linux, and it's not yeah. a scary thing to them. It's just normal. Yeah. So. And of course, the the Raspberry Pi had its fourth birthday. Uh, it was, it was uh, at the end of February. It was actually it was actually born on on the 29th of February. So it's it's actually its first birthday. <laughs> Um, but four years uh, 
Yes, and I was meant to go to the party and I was going to get all the insider info, but this damn illness just knocked me out and I totally missed it and I'm really, really gutted. Yeah, was there anyone famous there? Um, well, it would have just been nice. Well, you know, we had Eben Upton on the show a couple of I years remember, ago. I remember, yeah. So it would have been nice to caught up with him. Yeah. Um, although I've got, I've got to know some of the other Raspberry Pi people recently. Um, ben Nuttall was right. on my workshop last week. Oh, awesome. My Raspberry Pi workshop, which and is And he brilliant. works on the hardware? He is actually, I'm, I'm just trying to remember what his official job title is, but he does, he's most well known for uh, a, a Python library uh, called GPIO0. Mm-hmm. which is a a way to access the, the GPIO pins on a Raspberry Pi. It's, uh, but but he's just... What are, he, can you, sorry, what are they, what, which pins? The GPIO pins. What do they I do? I mean, it's just a fancy term for like a, a pin. <laughs> um, so it's, right. it's the equivalent of any pin on an Arduino. A pin being it, something that you can attach a wire to and then attach right. that wire to something else. Like yeah, GPIO bolt. specifically stands for general purpose input output. Right. Right. So you can it's it's the same as an Arduino. You can put an LED, you can make a pin an output and make it go high or low if you want to turn a light on or off. Or you can make right. it an input and and read whether there's voltage going into it or not or whether it's connected to ground. So it's it's the same as an Arduino. Although interestingly, you know, for someone coming from Arduino to Raspberry Pi, there's a couple of things that noticeable the, the most noticeable absence is a complete lack of any analog inputs right. on the raspberry pi which is a surprise is and and obviously that's something as a as an arduino user you're very used to having all the analog inputs you can put in knobs and photocells and temperature sensors and it's it's no problem but with the raspberry pi you need a bit of extra hardware to get an analog signal people usually use a, a small chip uh, like an MCP3008 is the most popular one, which has eight analog inputs right. and it converts it to I squared C. So it's like a digital uh, data stream going into the Pi, telling it what the analog levels are for all the inputs. Right. I squared C. Is that just yeah. a big, nu- a big number? No, it's, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's written down as I little to C it's it's a, a very popular two wire interface. It's like a serial interface, but it's not quite. It's a, right. it's a bit simpler from. And it. the stuff that you get in is that measured in like voltages. Uh, I'm just trying to think how many bits it is. Um, but on an Arduino, for example, you'd get an, an, on the analog input, you'd get a, a digital value between zero and uh, 10, 10, 23. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it would convert the analog signal, and on the on the Arduino, that would be a voltage level going into the analog input between yeah. zero and five volts. Right. Oh. Okay. So it normalizes it to sort of. Yeah. It would put it would convert it to a digital number between zero and ten twenty three. I see. Yeah. So that's okay. that's obviously missing. Anyway, what was this all about? Yeah. Anyway, Ben Nuttall. I don't know because it's it's interesting though, isn't it? Because I because I don't really know much about Raspberry Pis and stuff. Yeah. Half the stuff you say is like. <laughs> No, no, it's, about it, it. well that's really good because i often forget the things that i know and i think that's you yeah. know what we have but to i think for our, like for our listeners a lot of them will be in the same position as me where it's yeah. like they've maybe seen a pie and turn one on and yeah and actually because the pie is so popular 
it's got it's got and it's it's so versatile and you find that people are doing wildly different things with it so mm. even if you're an expert at the raspberry pi you might not have ever used the gpio right you no. might have just done something else with it i mean it's a linux computer most people most people wouldn't think to use the gpio pins they just plug in a screen and, and a keyboard and start typing and make something happen you know yeah. so so it's and it's really fascinating all the different use cases for it it was, it's been quite interesting as well to learn about some of uh, the background of the Raspberry Pi and how, um, you know, because there's there's a few a few things, you know, with the Pi Zero, the Pi Zero, which is just, it came out just late last year. Did we talk about it? Probably Yeah, didn't. I think we did. And maybe our first episode back. But it's, it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, it's tiny. It's really, really tiny. You just can't, look, there's one. It's good for radio. But it's it's smaller than an Arduino. It's about um, the size of someone's mouth, I would say. You could put one in your mouth. Seb's putting one in his mouth now. Yeah, he just about fit it. Just, I've got quite a big mouth, but it did fit in my mouth. Uh, and um, it's it's truly amazing. It's truly revolutionary. I mean, it's five dollars, which is just insane. Um, sure, it doesn't come with some of the stuff you need. Like you need a power supply and you need an SD card. Um, and there are some sacrifices that have been made. Uh, the the USB connector is a micro USB, so you need adapters to put anything that's a normal USB into it. And the HDMI port is a mini HDMI port, so it's you know there's been some sacrifices. And mini no, HDMI, huh? Yeah, yeah. No one which, has that. No, but, no. But you can get a mini <laughs> HDMI cable, right? So it's sure. Not, or an adapter. So it's not really a big deal. But to me, it's. Um, it's it 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 made me realise that I I needed to get into Raspberry Pi for the for for, for the sort of electronic stuff. It just makes sense to use that for, for certainly for connected devices. You know, I was working a lot on Arduino, getting an Arduino to connect to the internet last year, and it's it's really hard. Um, and because the, of the nature of connecting stuff to the internet, you're inevitably getting text strings back and forwards like json data or whatever hmm. uh, and in the arduino it's, it's really hard to work with strings in c right and there's memory allocation and even like um you know secure connections are pretty much out of reach of the arduino um unless you're very clever but with the raspberry pi it's got obviously a linux operating system and you can use javascript or python string manipulation is really easy you can get all the secure connection stuff no problem it's got the overhead of a full Linux operating system, which might not be ideal, but in some ways it, that that gives you a lot of... It, all the stuff for connecting to the internet is kind of there already, right? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of pros and cons, but to me, having a tiny little computer for $5 is just a no-brainer, really. Although having researched it a little bit more, uh, what I'm finding really interesting is that no, I don't think anyone's really making any money on the Pi Zero, think the raspberry pi foundation are pretty much selling it at cost i can't imagine i mean it's so cheap right how could they possibly make any money on it or at least the margins are tiny but don't, i mean don't they have a small margin on everything though um i think that well the the ordinary raspberry pies have a higher margin or and particularly with the resellers it's and and interestingly the raspberry pi like the usual resellers aren't interested in the pi zero like right, you'll notice it's so that cheap, yeah. radio spares and element 14 they're just not stocking it at all 
Uh, and it's quite interesting to, to look at the history because Pi Zero is, is one of the first computers that Raspberry Pi have, have actually decided to make themselves, right? So they've uh, they've commissioned the you know the factory to make it and they've they've handled all of that right and they only they only the last time they did that was with the first raspberry pi right as far as i know um so they then they made like ten thousand of them themselves yeah and uh and they said to radio spares and element 14 well you can have this first stock of however many thousand but after that you'll have to make it yourself you know we don't want to be involved with that any of right. that anymore and of course it was beyond their wildest dreams that they'd sell their first stock. No, it's mad, isn't it? And it sold, you know, and they'd sold a million within a few months, right? So, and now I think they've sold eight million. Okay, so going is, back, going back to the three, what's that yeah. got got on it that's new? Oh, so it's it's faster processor, sixty four bit, one point two gigahertz, mm-hmm. same RAM as a Raspberry Pi two, one uh, one gig, um, but it's got um it's got bluetooth and wi-fi built in that's awesome it is brilliant yeah it's what i'd really like is a pi zero with with wi-fi built in right oh yeah (laughs) that doesn't have wi-fi built in no um so i mean i figured out a relatively straightforward way of getting wi-fi onto it like you can get a little adapter it's like a little built-in adapter to convert the mini usb to normal usb and you can just stick it I'm just showing you now. You can stick a like a little Wi-Fi adapter onto it. Oh, except it doesn't fit, but it sticks out a bit. <laughs> right, it's it doesn't like, normally stick out that much, but you can yeah. get a tiny Wi-Fi thing. So there's ways to do, it, and that's what I did in, in my workshop. Um, but yeah, it'd be really nice to have that built in. But of course, the Pi Zero is so cheap. But no, interestingly, the Raspberry Pi decided to make the Pi Zero not for money. They they made it because they want more people to have a a Raspberry Pi and access to a computer. Mm. And isn't it amazing that there's an organisation that's doing something not for money? <laughs> yeah, I mean, incredible. Right? It's, it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> I, and I, that's, I absolutely love the Pi Foundation for that. You yeah. know, that they're not motivated by money. They're motivated by education. You know, so a lot of the various elements of the community are making, are asking for certain things. Um but unless the education aspect of it is met, the you know the Pi found that that's their main focus yeah. to get education sorted, and and I think they make reasonable money from the full priced Pies. Mm. So in a way, that's kind of um, subsidising the Pi Zero. Very interesting, though, isn't it? I re- I'm really I'm really loving it. I've I've been really enjoying working with with the Raspberry Pi. Awesome, uh, and and doing the workshop is it, like it's quite different from doing a an Arduino workshop because there's just crazy amount of complexity to get all the Raspberry Pis connected to the internet. Yeah. With traditional Raspberry Pi workshops, you would have um, probably, like you'd have all the, all the monitors and keyboards and Ethernet cables and yeah. network switches. I mean, can you imagine? It'd just be... <laughs> yeah, well, I went to, um, I went to, I can't remember what it's called. It's like a... It's like a Cornish Hack Day tech jam thing where Is basically it, yeah. loads of enthusiasts and educators get together in a room with all this kit. And mm. it's just a crazy tangle of wires like it's nuts. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's just cables trailing everywhere. Lots of um, it, Raspberry Pis plugged into like 
secondhand donated monitors that are like yeah. giant CRTs with flickering screens and stuff. <laughs> yeah, so I, obviously I just really wanted to avoid that. So I, uh, you know, obviously straight away I wanted to use Wi-Fi. I mean, why wouldn't you? Um, so it's, and, and it was actually pretty good. It, there was a few connection problems because the Wi-Fi dongles are so small and uh, and and if there's like too many bodies between the the aerial and the router, it sort of drops out a little bit. But I was surprised at, at you know I think I've maybe got it sussed. It would just be nice to have some backups so you can connect to a, a Pi through a serial um, interface. So you get a USB serial interface. You plug it into the GPIO pins and control the Pi over a serial console. That's a good backup. I've also found some Ethernet adapters for the Pi Zero as well, so I'll probably bring those as a backup as well. Just all the backups. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, that, like, anything else about the Raspberry Pi Three? We should. I think that probably covers it, doesn't it? It's a computer, isn't it? It's a computer. <laughs> have they, have they, have they, does it have a case yet? <laughs> <laughs> they have got an official Raspberry Pi case. Oh, they do. Case, actually, yeah. Um, yeah, that's boring, isn't it? I'm, yeah. I made a little prototyping board for the Pi Zero which has a breadboard attached and it's you know laser cuts I love laser cutting things mm. we've gone on quite long actually we have haven't we just on the Raspberry Pi and we've got loads more news oh do we <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, do we I'll take um, I'll take GDC go on then let's give you a break um, yeah GDC so it just happened in San Francisco all about VR this year everyone just obsessed with VR uh, yeah like whether the actual consumer demand is there and stuff we really don't know yet it's just one of those mm. things though where like because it exists people want to do it basically yeah. and it's like because it is pretty compelling like idea to just be transported to another world so there's there's three competing ones now there's the playstation vr which plugs into a ps4 and that's going to be the cheapest that's going to be i think 500 dollars plus you need a playstation camera which is like $50, plus you need a PlayStation 4, which is like uh, $400 or something. So if you add it all up, it's still like $1,000 or something. But that's the cheapest. So if you compare that to like the Vive, which I think is the most, that's the uh, HTC, I think it is. Is that right? Yeah. Is it pronounced Vive? I always thought it was Vive. Yeah. I, I never think actually heard anyone I think pronounce it's it, so Vive, I don't know. But it might be, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, what that does, that uses lasers to track your position. So that's for like room scale. So basically Mm. um, you have these things called lighthouses, I think they're called, and you put one in each corner of your room. You have a reasonable sized room that you can do it in. And then it can track your whole position. It's got two hand controllers um, that track the position of your hands that's got, that have buttons on. And then you can move around the whole room. And so you can't do that on the on the PlayStation one. On the PlayStation one, no, it's that's very much based around you hold the like normal PlayStation controller. It's tracking your head, and you're and you're moving like mm. wherever you're moving around inside the game. You're doing it with the PlayStation controller rather than like with your body. Um, but it yeah. does also su- support the Move controllers, which was a peripheral that Sony already had, which was like yeah. like a Wii U remote basically. Um, the one with two big glowing balls <laughs> a big glowing ball on each end yeah. it's the ones that people play that um that js joust game with yeah um 
So that's that one, and that's about seven hundred pounds, I think. Mm. So that's like a thousand dollars. I can't. I don't know that. I, I know some of these numbers in dollars and some in pounds, but I think that's seven hundred pounds. So it's a thousand dollars or something. Yeah. And then plus you need a computer with a really powerful, a really powerful computer with a decent graphics card. So that's going to be at least like a thousand dollars just for that. Like just the graphics card, I think you need one that's like three hundred dollars. Um, I think it's the you need a nine sixty minimum, if that means anything to you. Um, <laughs> so, not really. Yeah, like there's no. It laptop, sounds good though. That's quite no, a high number. Like there's no laptop <laughs> that um, supports either um, Vive or the Oculus. So, so if you're thinking you're just going to get one of these headsets and plug it into your no, laptop, but you you're need not, a really serious. You need a decent computer. gaming rig computer. Yeah, and. Mm. Yeah, so then there's the Oculus, and the Oculus is somewhere in between price-wise. Um, right. And that's that just released yesterday, I think, as uh, when we're recording this. Um, yeah. So that's the first one out. And that, at the moment, that um, it comes with an Xbox controller that you use to play the games, but that's also getting, like, two hand controllers that you hold. Um, but the Oculus, does that have rim scale stuff? It like, can. They say it can do it, but it's not their focus. But yeah. they're doing it with cameras, so there's no way they're doing it as well as the Vive, which is using like a two laser setup thing. Um, yeah, it's just not going to be as as accurate, basically. Mm. Um, but they're saying that they're not focusing on room scale anyway. Like they're, they're going for like a seated experience, but where like things like leaning forwards and back is important. So it's not just about rotating your head. It is about yeah. like your there's whole some- body movement. There's on a your bit seat. of positional stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's like, so you're flying your X-Wing or whatever and you can turn around and look right around you and, and bob your head and it's not just about like uh, more of a naive thing, like a, a Google Cardboard, mm. which seems to be just to do with turning left and right, basically, or like looking, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and with all of these things, there's multiple considerations. There's like the refresh rate, there's the... Um, so what they found is that at, at like low frequencies, you feel sick, basically. Um, yeah. If the if the things are refreshing too slow, but there's also the lag between your input. So when you move your body, uh, move your head around, versus how quickly that data can get to the screen, um, and even taking like milliseconds off any of those numbers actually massively like improves the experience. And then there's the actual resolution of the um, of the screen inside the headset. So, because yeah. it has to be kind of. I mean, if you see in pixels, then it's just gonna kind of. Ruin I mean, it all a bit, of them though. All of them do have this like the screen door effect to some extent, which is where you can just sort of just about see the mesh of pixels. Because what you have to yeah. remember is that even though the thing is very close to your eyes, you, your eyes can't focus at that distance. So what they're doing is they're using lenses in between the screen and your eyes to effectively magnify and and shift the focus, which means that each pixel is going to be bigger um, th- than its physical size, if that makes sense. Yeah. And and do you think, have you tried any of these? Um, I, mean, I'm super, I, I, I mean, I can't afford one of the rigs at the moment because yeah. they're so expensive. But um, no, I'm, I mean, I've tried on the DK2, I think is the most up-to-date one but that's massively out of date now like that's yeah apparently no comparison to the the newer ones like the release oculus or the or the um the latest vive preview thing yeah 
yeah and i'm just you know i remember when i used it and it does just look like you're looking through like binoculars or but, something yeah but i mean no... you're in brighton though you can go along to the brighton vr meet and go and okay. try all these things on we don't yeah, have a cornish a... vr meet yet so <laughs> have to wait for that but there's the, yeah there's a few people here that i should talk to probably get them on the show yeah like uh, okay. uh yestin would be a good guest if he's willing to come on he? he's a bit yeah. of an expert in this stuff yeah probably and he lives next door <laughs> i think he's moved out bit further out of the centre of Brighton actually to get a house can't get a house in the centre of Brighton yeah so um so what is what about the Microsoft stuff that was mostly HoloLens the exciting bits right um to be honest though HoloLens is still a way off isn't it of being an actual thing that people will yeah but it's got I think the potential is exciting isn't it I think the in some ways the AR is more interesting than the complete vr right i don't know i'm i'm more on the vr camp really because i think think the vr is is i mean they're very different aren't they yeah vr is a completely contained enclosed experience it's going to be games and virtual experiences i think ar obviously at the moment the headsets are unwieldy but imagine they just were like glasses that didn't look any different from normal Right. And you just had stuff like overlaid onto reality. I mean, that'd be pretty cool. I guess it would be cool. I mean, you can't say that wouldn't be cool. I don't know how that works in terms of optics because if something's too close to your eye, there's no way you can focus on it, right? Just have it lasered right into your retina. (laughs) That's Um, the future. But yeah, I mean, the thing is that it's the the entering another world, isn't it, of VR? It's like you put on the headset and... You know, No Man's Sky is coming out soon. That's that game that uh, simulates whole galaxies and universes and stuff. And that's not going to have any VR support at launch, I think. But I don't know if they're going to patch it in later, if they can, probably. I think they're working yeah. hard enough just to release it at all. But, you know, imagine like entering like all these alien planets like and in a completely immersive way. It's amazing. Well, I'd, I'd really like to, to play Elite Dangerous with a VR headset. Yeah, that's supposed to be really good, actually. Well, I, I did try playing it but right. I don't think my graphics card... Well, there's two problems, right? Firstly, my graphics card isn't quite up to it. Right. <laughs> and secondly, I'm, I'm terrible at, at playing games. You just <laughs> so suck at games. I even got like one of those HOTUS controllers, you know, the separate thrust and right. control and, you know, big massive flight simulator controls. <laughs> and I, I, I just, you know... Don't those make it a, harder though, in a way? Well, I definitely couldn't play. I, I used to play Elite on the BBC Micro just with the keys, right? And now there's, there's more <laughs> controls. You can't do it all with the keys yeah. anymore. You've got to do it with the mouse as well. And oh, I just couldn't play it with the keys. So I thought, this will fix all my problems. A big HOTUS controller set. I didn't. I'm still rubbish. I've still got to just really practice. <laughs> um, Unity had a big keynote at uh, GDC. But oh yeah, they didn't really announce anything this year. They said that they're basically just focusing on stability, and that's mm. their main focus from now on. Because uh, they've had too many people complain, I guess, that like they're adding new features, but not actually just making sure that the core is like stable and everything. So that's always a good thing when when companies actually like focus on just making what they've got work well, rather than <laughs> rather than just adding more features constantly. But, that's craziness. 
I mean, I guess that doesn't sell many products. Well, I've no- one thing I've noticed is that um, they've removed the option to buy Unity from the website. That you can only get it on the like dollars per month type thing. You know, like the same the thing that Adobe have done basically, where you yeah. can't just buy the product. You have to be like signed up for like a license thing recurring. Yeah, I think that makes more sense really with that sort of product because, you know, the idea of buying a finished software project product doesn't really exist anymore, does it? No, because everything's being constantly updated. It's not like yeah. a... And, and it needs to be constantly updated, it, you know. Yeah. And the concept of owning software is a bit weird anyway, isn't well, it? Well, I mean, it was weird. Like in back in the day, you could resell your Photoshop yeah. discs and things like that, but... I think, yeah, that's because it was finished. Yeah, but I don't think you've ever actually it. legally been able to do that with Unity anyway. Like, you've never been able to transfer your license or whatever. So from that point of view, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't actually affect the price because if you, if you average like $75 a month for three years, it works out the same as what the product cost anyway or whatever for two, over yeah, two years. Yeah, and, and so. there's less barrier to entry as well, isn't isn't there? And Yeah, but I you're assume... even those things that you're still, you still have to sign up for like one year minimums. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so now you if can't these, just, if you can't you just turn it on when you get a job. No, like if you could do that, that would actually be amazing from like yeah. a, a consumer point of view. But yeah, they, no one ever does that. You can't do that with Photoshop. You can't do it with... True. Anything. But I think Adobe have... Did I read that they've made their best profits ever recently since switching to Creative Cloud? So maybe piracy probably was a huge problem for Adobe, like you would imagine it would be considering how many like... uh, I did a like there, I just spotted one. (laughs) There's been quite a few. We should have like a little little bell that goes off and have a counter. Or, Or maybe I could just write some software that searches for them and just deletes them mm. that'd be good wouldn't it anyway yes sorry, well, sorry what was uh, I saying sorry let me just about, finish that thought about Adobe oh yeah yeah because you always knew that lots of people were pirating it instead of buying yeah. it I mean who can afford like a thousand pounds for Photoshop I mean well students p- and freelancers I mean they just can't yeah well depends <laughs> yeah there was, there was a lot digital. there were a lot of won't buys I think with Photoshop to be honest like people who could have actually afforded it they just didn't yeah. want to pay basically like within in piracy there's always the people who will will only pirate if they can get will pirate if they can get away with it but would otherwise buy the product and then yeah. there's probably a bigger group of people who were never going to buy it and they would only just pirate it anyway so yeah anytime you reduce piracy you get the first group but yeah you're not going to turn the second group into sales because they just because they're not going to buy it anyway. No, exactly. So, and I think with games piracy, this is a big thing as well. Like most of the people who pirate games were never going to buy them because then just they don't spend money on games. Mm. You know, all you can do is appeal to people who do buy stuff, I guess. But I mean, in Adobe, in Adobe's case, it's obviously worked out for them because there probably was a big group of people who actually in the design industry actually have plenty of money, could have bought the software, just didn't. Yeah. I think I think you know I, I'm quite I'm quite trusting of humanity. I think, right, yeah. <laughs> you know, if it's a fair price, then I think people will pay it. Right? It's just you know, yeah. a thousand quid for some software that you might use rarely. It's just it's never going to work, is it? Yeah, I mean, 
I, don't, I must I mean, admit, I've cancelled my subscription. Oh, really? I've, I, but then I was, I've got CS6, you see, so I, I don't yeah. have a Creative Cloud subscription. But then Amanda does because she uh, got... Um, yeah, she just switched to Mac, so we didn't have a, a Windows license for her stuff. So, yeah. yeah. But she's got, like, the photography plan, and it's, like, really cheap. It just gives you Photoshop, yeah. and it's, like, £10 a month or something. Yeah, which is which is perfectly manageable, isn't it? I mean, I think I've got a copy of CS5, you know, back from when I had good connections with Adobe, and they gave me, you know, they used, <laughs> they used to give, to give away a lot suite. of stuff. <laughs> yeah, so, and I think I've still got CS5, and... You know, the benefits that I got from Creative Cloud are just, for the amount that I use it, it's just pointless. But I would always recommend um, threatening to cancel your Creative Cloud. They'll give you, it's like your TV service or your telephone. Yeah, it's true of any service. Anything where you're outside of your, yeah, anything where you're outside of your contract, you are straight away to just speak to the retention team and they can give you like (laughs) amazing deals on, on stuff. Yeah, so I'd recommend that. Adobe definitely uh, gave me quite a few offers before <laughs> before I actually cancelled it properly. Okay, well, I, that's probably enough, isn't it, for one episode? There was some other stuff. We, we'll just put it off till next time. Oh, no, let, well, let's finish the news because we, I, we, we didn't, for the first 10 minutes of the recording, we didn't actually, it wasn't the show. Yeah, so we've got a 40-minute episode. Okay, um, well, there's... No, come on, I'm going up to I'm going up to like an hour and a half with my episodes now, Sam. Have you not noticed? Yeah, I know, but I'm the one that's got to edit them. Um, so, so uh, yeah, a couple of... Well, the, the big news... Well, you know, you know we've had a, a, a couple of guests lately and I've totally failed to scoop uh, the, some, some really important news. Like um, Rachel Binks a few episodes ago. I interviewed yep. her. She worked at NASA. Um, pretty much as soon as the interview was recorded, she left her job and closed all of her websites down. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So what? There's, um, I think she just wants to clear the decks to, to, to make some new stuff. So, you know, brilliant timing there. Yeah. Um, you know, shout, everything she spoke about is things, immediately yeah. out of date. Um, and then, of course, Raquel Velez last week, you know, by the time that interview went out, there was some pretty serious stuff happening at NPM that essentially broke the internet. So NPM <laughs> is is the Node.js package manager, but doesn't stand for Node package manager, as Raquel told us, which I don't believe for a minute. Um, <laughs> and, and so if you're working in Node, then the best way to get your code libraries is by using npm you can install various packages and modules you know like um in fact you can install almost anything from a utility like nodemon that will automatically restart your your node app if you change it yeah uh, i mean you forever. talked about it on the show with her didn't yeah, you? But, yeah i mean in, in summary it's like instead of going to github to download some source code you go to a little command line interface and you just type in a couple of words and it'll download these packages for you, right? Yeah, that's right. And and also you can store all the settings for which libraries you're using in a little JSON file. So then if you distribute your code, the person that installs it at their end can just type npm install and it will look up which extra packages it needs and installs for you. So you don't have to include all the packages in your Git. You can just 
have a little file that says what packages it needs, what dependencies it has. Yeah. So what happened is a guy went and he unpublished all of his packages. Yeah, that's that's right. (laughs) So, so, I mean, there are lots of packages on NPM that rely on other packages. So when you install one package, it looks through the list and it installs all the other packages automatically as well. Yeah, there's a guy called Azza Cthulhu, I'm guessing it's pronounced... Um, and he Cthulhu, had, uh, he had, am I right? No, I'm not Cthulhu. right. Cthulhu, I think it's Cthulhu. I did look <laughs> up how to pronounce a cedilla, a C with a cedilla in various languages. And, and I, I, I'm guessing it's a, a hard chair, but who knows? Um, and, and he had loads of packages on NPM. He had like 273, I think. Um, one of which was called Kik, K-I-K, which, is, uh, which was a templating system that he made. But there's also an instant messaging service called Kick. I've never heard of them, actually, have you? But apparently they've got 200 million (laughs) users. I think they're maybe big in Canada. Um, And they basically wanted the package called Kick. So they they got their their trademark agent to send him a letter. And and Azure is uh, an open source advocate. So obviously he didn't take too kindly to being asked you know, to take down his, his package. He was just like, why should I, you know, had it yeah. for ages. Fair enough, really. It's just, a, it's just free letters. Well, and, and you know, and if, if, and if like a, a trademark lawyer gets in touch with you, you're not, you know, and it's yeah, very sort of businessy, then that would piss me off. Yeah. But I mean, what the NPM organisation ended up saying in the end was, I know I'm skipping ahead a bit, was that basically yeah. they only agreed with the kick thing because... um they think that users would find users if they're downloading Kick would expect some services, some code that makes that interacts with the Kick network. Yeah, and, NPM and, and if they're a, getting some other random tool, they think that would just confuse developers, basically. Which, which I think is fair enough. You know, they have a, a fairly common sense policy to do with you know who owns what, and I think they've always been quite clear about that. And I, I think that probably makes sense. Like. If someone made an NPM package called Sebley Delisle, then I think, <laughs> you know, I think NPM would maybe be sympathetic towards me. And, you know, in the same way that you can um, manage domain disputes. Um, but it does sound like the, the the agent didn't really handle things very well because they and, and, it's, and, and, I, and I think as a probably has a, a slight um contempt for those sort of people and mess the emails as well which i you know i probably share um and so you know the the communications went south so kick contacted npm who basically took the package away from azure and gave it to kick and azure was furious you know and and just pulled down all of his packages Including one, and this is, you know, this is classic, really. The, the one important package, the most important out of his 273 NPM packages, the most important was one called LeftPad, which was 11 lines of code. And all it did was add space to a string, <laughs> right? But there are some really popular packages on NPM that use it as a dependency. Yeah, just... There's so much to talk about here. First of all, why is there a package that just does that? Um, you know, that's that's classic example of the JavaScript community and their reliance on modules and libraries. I mean, it's just, 
you and I would just write some code that does it, right? But there's a, uh, become a reliance on on just doing a, a search for a package and go, oh, that'll do it, add it in. So, of course, there are some really important packages, uh, including, I think the biggest one was called Babel, which is really popular, and it, um, it translates your JavaScript from ES6 to ES5, so uh, you can use it to, to actually start working in ES6 immediately and just translate it to older versions of JavaScript. And as soon as this left pad was taken down, all of these builds just stopped working. <laughs> it's just mm. ridiculous. So NPM took the decision to un-unpublish uh, LeftPad and, <laughs> and and the internet was, was restored. But yeah. I, mean, I think in, in there somewhere as well, there was also some security concerns about what happens to all these things he's unpublished because other people could just go and use those names for a short period yeah. of time, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think NPM, I mean, if you read the NPM blog post, you know, they've been quite honest about what they've learned from it. And, you know, it's if you remember what Raquel said, they've grown so fast. It's just unbelievable growth. And mm. and they've just been confronted with this really tricky situation, which they've never experienced before. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not sure I'd know exactly how to deal with it. So they've learned some stuff and I think they're reviewing some stuff. Um, and and hopefully it you know yeah it won't so it turns again. out the internet not quite as broken as <laughs> yeah they they sorted it out within a, two or three hours so it was you know there's uh, obviously people were up in arms about it for various reasons um, I guess yeah I mean well, I mean this is the the when you go to build your project compile or whatever and you haven't changed anything and it suddenly stops working that is one of the weirdest most horrible feelings. Because you just yeah. don't know what to do. You're like, what? Has reality changed? Like, this all worked and then suddenly something's not working and you have to work out why. <laughs> but And actually, yeah. you know, working with Node is kind of the worst for that. I mean, the amount of packages that I've installed that just don't compile. I mean, it's more common than not that a package won't compile. Oh, really? Yeah. Or, or at least the sort of stuff that I'm doing, which is, you know, specific to Raspberry Pi so, right. so I guess it's not as common a use case that as most most people working with Node are just doing server side stuff, you know, t- um, delivering you know delivering web pages and managing databases and stuff. It's probably really robust in those situations. I don't know, but the stuff I'm doing is a bit more niche. It's probably not quite as settled, and and there's always problems. You know, I can't just install and it works. It's very rare. No. So, do you want to talk about the implications of? Should people be grabbing code from the internet for, for solving small problems? You're going to say no. I'm going to say sometimes it's okay. Uh, what I'd rather have is like like a big library, like my math helper library, that yeah. is one class or one file that gives you 50 different functions. It's not one function that's its own thing. Yeah, It gives you loads of things like... Any any sort of math shortcut that you need, basically, for like quickly getting, you know, the distance between two points or the angle, the shortest angle from one rotation to another rotation or things like that. Um, you know, map one yeah. set of values to another set of values. But it, I have them all in one place. So you just download that once. It's not And it's one. yours. 
you know. I mean, in that case, it's mine. But if someone else, if that existed and someone else had already written it, I would probably use theirs. But then what I would yeah. actually find I would end up doing is I would just save it as my own thing and I'd start adding my own things in, onto the end of the file when I realised yeah. it doesn't do everything I want. I'm not really sure what the solution is. It just seems ridiculous to me that there's a module that all these other packages were relying on that was 11 lines of code. And actually, most of that's just set up. The actual bit that does stuff is like two lines of code. And I sort of think, you know, and it's not even C++, right? Padding a string in JavaScript is really easy. Hmm. I don't, I just, it, it's beyond me why that's a, a, a module that you install. I mean, it's just stupid. Yeah, it seems like they should have check the license to make sure they can do it but then just actually taken that that whole function and just made it part of their own thing right yeah and and they could because it was all fully open source for anyone right so re-publish. why have a de- why have an external dependency if you can just grab that bit of code because if you've got an external dependency that can change like i'm going yeah. back to like paper vision people used to do it where <laughs> they would uh, <laughs> people would have their they would have their repository for their yeah. code and then they would link to the live PaperVision one for PaperVision. It's like, well, PaperVision yeah. API changes. Like that, that thing used to change, breaking changes quite often. So yeah. that's not going to work. What, what I would always do is just download all of PaperVision, put that in my repository. And that way, you know that you've always got the version of PaperVision that actually works with the code that you wrote. Yeah, but that was, that was you know, that was a few years ago when hot linking to other people hosting library files was was best practice right uh particularly in flash because it could cache that that source that compiled source code it could cache it so if you went to multiple paper vision sites you wouldn't have to reload the library every time and the same with jquery right everyone would just link to the globally hosted jquery and and now of course i think people are realizing that's not probably such a great idea no because you're putting a lot of trust in well, like anything, though, everything now is so de- dependent on other stuff on the internet. You almost, what's the point of even trying to avoid it? Because you can't. <laughs> it's all the massive interwoven mess of dependencies. Yeah. Well, I think I think now we're seeing a lot of those services go down. Or, or you know, or go. Yeah, there's loads of places on the internet, APIs that have changed, that have closed down. It, you know, it's five, ten years ago it was a really exciting time because there are all these APIs and you could just glue them all together yourself. Everything was open and they're encouraging developers. And now as they've started to try to earn money, you know, they've closed down some of these APIs, they've changed them, they've made them like harder to access, you need authorization keys. And then just loads of services have actually been closed down as well, right? So yeah. it's it's a bit sad. Huh. If this, then that as well, they've, They've annoyed people at the moment. I didn't really want to get into if this, then that, but there was such a great service. Why are you doing it then, Sam? You're your own worst enemy. Can't help myself. (laughs) Can't help myself. Yeah, okay, I'll talk about that next week. Um, We've run out of time. Yeah, we have. Let's close it down. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, you guys. Please follow us on Twitter, cc underscore pod. Get us on Facebook as well. Creative Coding Podcast, I think it is. Facebook. Sounds, Sounds plausible. Yep. And, and, and coming yes, soon, us. coming soon, YouTube. Oh yeah, but don't expect yeah, anything. It's just going to be reposting of the episodes for now. A, it's going to be amazing. This um, is a little bit of a uh, what's the word? An experiment, basically, to see whether 
people will listen to an audio podcast on YouTube because I I think they will said things they won't. So. I, I I have no idea. It sounds weird to me. I wouldn't do it, but then people do things that I don't do all the time. I don't even, to be honest, I don't really understand why people listen to this podcast at all. Well, there you go. They, they won't after this episode. <laughs> and on that note thanks very much for listening support us on Patreon patreon.com forward slash creative coding and we'll see you next time thanks bye, bye.